0: This morning, the Bible reading is from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. The title from NIV is Made Alive in Christ. Verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the way of the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and force. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is God's word. Thanks, Jua. Morning, everyone.
1: Good morning to guys at home. Thank you for joining us. And we pray that you'll have a sense of God being with you as we do here in the auditorium. We continue our series this morning on Ephesians what we were, what we are, and what we will be. Um, We had our family stay with us last night, our daughter and son in law, and our two grandchildren. And waking up with them this morning is certainly an experience. Normally, our house on a Sunday morning is very quiet. I can sit at the table by myself. Rhonda is, you know, pottering around doing her thing and making a cup of tea for moi and uh, cooking me breakfast. And she does that, as I've said, nearly every Sunday. I have to say nearly now. And she did this morning. And then I sit there with my notes, and you can see that I have a lot of my notes, And Franklin has this habit, if I put something aside, like my glasses case or something, he's got to come and get it and give it back to me. So I'm putting my sermon aside, he's coming and giving it back to me. They were quite fascinated watching me go through my final preparation for this morning. And so I was greatly distracted, and that's why I would like to close in prayer right now. (laughs) Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's a great joy and privilege for us to be together. Thank you for family. Thank you for our church family. We pray, Heavenly Father, that as your children, that you would refresh us and nourish us this morning from truths from your word, that we might be equipped to seek, to serve and follow the Lord Jesus. Speak to us, Lord, we pray in his name. And everyone said... Amen. What we were, what we are, what we will be. This is pretty much a before and after story. Months ago, when we were in Sydney visiting our son and his family down there, our son informed us of a new habit that he had started to watch on YouTube. I'm not sure if I've told you this or not, but he had discovered this series by called Tim the Lawnmower Man. Do you know Tim the Lawnmower Man? I'm not sure he's a Christian, but he certainly behaves like one. Tim is a, <clears throat> a detailed lawn guy. I've never seen anybody who can use a whippersnipper like this guy. Tim, the lawnmower man, look it up, watch him, and every Friday he does a free mow Fridays, or something like that he calls it. Turns up to a person's house where the lawn is like this, And he offers to mow it and cut it right back for free. And then he shows you, it's on video, and that's how he earns money from doing it. That's why he can do it for free. And then he'll show you the before and after shot, the transformation that happens. That's what happens in this passage for us. And there are lots of these before and after, these makeover type things. People do it with grooming, don't they? You know, this is what I used to be like, and now this is what I'm like. Very quiet in here this morning. (laughs) There is house renos, car renos, clothes, and all sorts of things before and after shots. Well, spiritually in this passage, this is what we're going to get: a before and after, what we were, what we are, and how did that happen? Before we go any further, let me ask you a basic question, which be interesting to see. I don't want you to put up your hand, but this is pretty much the gamut. How do you assess human nature? What are people basically like? The vast majority of people, particularly I think here in Australia would say, people are basically good. They're nice. They're not perfect, but we are getting better through education and through all the other sorts of self-improvement processes. Yeah, sure, in the past we've had wars and diseases and starvation and stuff, but we're in the process of eliminating all of that. <clears throat> That's, I think, the vast the view of probably the majority, but it's highly inadequate. It's not correct. It's nice, but not true. Secondly, some people would say, um, "Well, we're not essentially good. We're okay, but we're not well. There's something wrong with us, but it's not hopeless. As long as we." try, and as long as we live, we can try to fix it. Maybe we're bad, or we do bad things, but on the inside, we are really not bad at all. Again, popular view, but inadequate, because it's not true. The Bible describes for us the third option, and it says people are not well at all. In fact, we have a fatal disease. We are spiritually Dead. While we are walking around physically alive, we are spiritually unresponsive to God. We are fatally flawed and it's incurable. We cannot fix ourselves, but God can. We are not free, but we are captive or we are enslaved to sin and to Satan. In fact, we run from God, not to him. That's a more accurate description of what we are like. We don't like to think of ourselves. We're not saying that everybody, the Bible doesn't say that everybody is bad through and through. It doesn't say that. Jesus, in fact, says, even though you are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. Bad people do good things, don't they? But what are we really like? Well, that's my assessment, and let's see what the Scripture says to us in this passage. There's a lot of words, but I just wanted to really highlight. I want to put those up three or four times. Just, Can you see the highlighted ones? Yes. Paul, in his passage, here is the before shot. This is what we were like before we knew Jesus. We were dead, spiritually dead, in our trespasses and sins. He doesn't mean physically dead. He means spiritually dead, because he goes on to talk about we are active in our trespasses and in our sins. We are walking around. Uh, We're like dead men walking, dead people walking. We follow, in fact, the ways of this world. Woo. Well, that was clever, Daryl. You've managed to jump about five slides. One. We follow the ways of this world. Um, In fact, we're born into this world, and the world is already infected with this disease. And so we're breathing it in. We live in this world. We conform to this world. We all want to fit in, don't we? We don't want to be different to the crowd. That's part of our condition. We follow the ways of those who are around us. Not only that, we live our lives according to the ruler of the power of the air, the evil one, the devil. The real spiritual ruler of this world is Satan, And that's manifest every now and again, and it's manifest right now in our lives, isn't it, with what's going on in Israel, with Hamas invading and doing horrendous things, evil things, bad things. I was talking to Pastor David yesterday, he said, who does these sorts of things? The ruler of this world does those sorts of things. He hates us, he hates God, and he's bent on destruction. And we live under his influence, under his rule. He's the Prince of the Power of the Air. As long as we live in this world and breathe in that air, you are under his, in his domain. You are under his influence, and he can still attack you. We cannot escape. What if we got in a spaceship and left? What do you take with you in the spaceship? Air. He's the Prince of the Power of the Air. You can't escape him. Not in ourselves. We need outside help. And then, of course, that's the outside influence, of the world, and there's a spiritual influence, the ruler of the air. But deep within us, we have a problem internally as well our own fleshly desires. We are born into this world flawed. We have a sinful nature. Our physical body and our mind is affected by this sin thing. We inherited it when we were born the environment around us, Satan attacking us, and now the flesh within us. And what's worse, we pass it on to our kids. I passed it on to my kids. My kids have passed it on to their kids. If only we were perfect. If only we didn't have to do that. You've got grandchildren, many of you, some of you have got children, and you remember when they were young. You won't remember when you were young, but when there were two or one, even one and a half, what's the first word they learn to say? No. You don't have to teach them. You didn't teach him. I didn't teach you. No. And he takes it to another level. No. It's gestured, it's repeated, and it's emphatic. He's a sinful little boy, is what he is. (laughs) You get up in the morning with him. And we love him. And God loves us. So, what's our condition? Dead, spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins, following the ways of this world, we just want to fit in. The evil one is attacking and influencing us, and he does that through people and circumstances and situations, and it's not only that. If none of those other influences were there, we have the disease within us. We can't cure ourselves, and in fact, we pass it on. But when we come to know Jesus, we can't help anybody else, but when we come to know Jesus, we can't save anybody else. He has to do it which is where Paul is going to go in a moment. There's one more thing, right down the bottom. We were by nature under wrath, children under wrath, as all of the others are. Our situation is incredibly serious. We are under wrath. You ever had somebody who has been really, really angry at you? Ever had that? Most of us have. It's an intimidating experience, isn't it? When somebody's really angry at you, well, God has wrath. And God is really angry about sin, certainly is about Satan. And one day there is going to be a day of wrath in the future where God will reveal to all how incredibly angry he really is against those who are resistant and who rebel against him refuse to take the offer of help that he is trying to give them. That's the dark side of our reality. That's our disease. It's bad news. But there is good news, <clears throat> as we know. And in fact, you need to emphasise, or you need to paint the darkness of the bad news in order that the lights of the good news really does shine forth. It's a great contrast. Verse 4, the NOV messes this up. Uh, I'll come back to that. The CSB has, but God. That's how the Greek text has it. There is this contrast, and he'll do it again later on in the chapter. But God. That was our situation. Dead interests and sins, following the ways of the world, under the influence of the prince of the power of the air, following our cravings um, and sinful desires, but God. But God has stepped in. God has done something in the person of the Lord Jesus. We can't do anything about it, but God can. And God has. He can make dead people live. And that's what he does. And when dead people come alive spiritually, then now they can see what they could never see before. Now they can hear God's word and understand it, which they couldn't before. And now they can talk about God and to God and about God to others. And they never wanted to before. But God. Why did he do it? Well, the passage says, because he is rich in mercy and because of his great love that he had for us. We were diseased, fallen and rebellious and he chose to love us. So it's not something in us that he's loving. It's because he is loving and merciful and chooses to be kind and gracious towards us. (coughs) What has he done? These three things. One, he made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses and sins. That made us alive with Christ is the resurrection. We have been raised from the dead, just like Jesus was dead and rose again physically. So that's what's happened for us spiritually. Our spirit has been reborn. We are born again. We now have spiritual life throbbing through our spirit. We were saved by grace, which is what he's going to emphasise. We were raised with Christ. We were raised up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places. Made alive, raised as the ascension. We've ascended with him, which when you think about it from a physical geographical point of view, in this world we are surrounded by the atmosphere. The prince of the power of the air is influencing us, but what Jesus has done is elevated us above the air. He's lifted us out of the domain of Satan. He set us free, and now we sit with him in the heavenlies. We have a title, we have an identity, and we are his representatives in this world, and we have his authority. And so we minister in his name, which is the power of the presence, which is the course many of you are doing. He raised us up with Jesus. We ascended with him spiritually, not yet physically. One day in the future, it will be physical. We will meet the Lord in the air and thus we will always be with him. And we are seated with him. We have the best seats in heaven. We are seated with him in the heavens. It's a position. We are enthroned. And as I said, we are the extension of his presence and his authority in this world. Question, have you been made alive by Christ? Do you have a new disposition? Are you aware that He is? you are the extension of of him and his presence in this world, wherever you are. Why? What is God's purpose behind all of this? Because he wants to show us off as trophies of his grace. We are going to be the demonstrations for all of eternity of what God is like. He is kind, he is gracious, he is merciful, and he is loving. How do you know? Look at them. They were once rebellious sinners, but he reached out and he changed them Adopted them, accepted them. Now we've been raised up with Him. How did all of this come about? Well, two words and two big words, two little words. By grace, through faith. By grace, through faith. Whoops. By grace. The passage also before mentions God's love and mercy, but in this particular bit, Paul is focusing particularly upon God's grace, God's unmerited kindness and goodness extended to us. It's not something we deserved. In fact, it's something we have forfeited. But what grace means is the good that I do doesn't help me get it, but it also means the bad that I do doesn't hinder me from receiving it. A thoroughly bad character can get into heaven by grace through faith. Thief on the cross, Jeffrey Dahmer, the Milwaukee murderer massacre. What is faith? Well, faith is not subjective feelings, faith is not hopeful wishing, faith is not a positive mental attitude. You know, if I believe, if I believe, I believe, I can do it. It's not talking yourself into being able to do something. John Stott says all of those sorts of attitudes are just simply self-confidence. Faith is not based upon my attitude or my feelings. Faith, in fact, is based upon God's word and character. And there are three dimensions to it. There's something to know, there's a heartfelt response, and then there's an action that flows out of it, commitment. That's faith. I can illustrate it for you. Katie, come up here. No, don't. When she was little, I used to do this. We would go to a park and she would stand on the table and I would step back. She was a lot younger, a lot smaller, a lot lighter. Mm, Not much. And I would say, jump and I'll catch you. Did she jump? Of course she did. Why did she jump? She heard me, she had knowledge. I I had said, if you do that, I'll do this, she trusted me. She's a very intelligent girl, so she reasoned academically that he looks big and strong enough and he looks like he could probably catch me. And if he doesn't, then mum will smack him. (laughs) Easy to illustrate, isn't it? The child trusts and believes that they jump and you catch them. That's faith. Not based upon a feeling, based upon what they heard. So too for us. Our faith is based upon what God has said to us. And we think he's trustworthy, we believe him. And on the basis of believing him, well, therefore I act this way. For instance, I was going to do this, but I can't, I haven't got it. So hypothetically, I'll give $20 to anybody who can name all of the books of the Bible in order. I meant to bring 20 bucks to be able to do it. And if you can name all of the books of the Bible, all 66 of them in order, then I'll give you 20 bucks. I don't have the 20 bucks, so it's hypothetical. It was a great illustration, but we're not doing it, all right? Or there is this. God says, I will forgive you and give you eternal life if you receive Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. We know. We believe, we trust, and we operate on that basis. We are not saved by being good, but we are saved to be good we are not saved by good works we are saved for good works before i jump off that let me just emphasize this this is a great was a great theological debate about 20 30 years ago particularly but the aftermath of it still lingers in some people's thinking some people would want to argue there are three ways some people would want to argue we believe in jesus And by doing our religious works, those two things combine to make us justified. That's what saves us. Believing and working justifies us. That's the Roman Catholic belief. It's not true. It's not correct. Then there are others who say we believe And therefore, we are justified, forgiven and given eternal life. And on the basis of that, then, we go and do works. That's the evangelical position. That's true. But there are some who call themselves evangelicals who say, I believe, and therefore I am justified, and I don't have to do anything else. They call themselves evangelicals. They call it... um, the second one they call Lordship Salvation. The, the, I can't remember what they call the third one. But it's not true either. Because there are people who say they believe. But we, were his, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We believe, we are justified so that we can do good works. If we are not doing good works, when we, the Bible says good works, what's it talking about? Well, primarily it's not talking about just being nice and doing nice things to other people. The good works this passage is alluding to is more like evangelism. You're sharing your faith. You're talking about Jesus to others. You're doing God's will. You're doing what God wants you to do. They're the good works that he's prepared for us to do ahead of time. And so... Some people would say, I've received Jesus to be my saviour, but I haven't yet received him to be my Lord. That's a dangerous position to be in. Because if he is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. When we become followers of Jesus, we bow the knee, we submit, we confess he is Lord and we obey him. If you're not obeying him, If that's a consistent pattern or demonstration of your life, then there's got to be a real question mark about the reality of your salvation because those whom he saves, he transforms. There are exceptions and God can sort those out. It's not up to us to sort it out. One exception that comes to mind immediately is going to be the thief on the cross. He believed. He didn't have much time to do any good works, did he? He was saved within hours of dying. Which is interesting, on the cross, this tyrant of a man, a bad man, a criminal, death penalty, deserved it, and he knew it. Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. He dies on the cross outside the city walls of Jerusalem, a saved sinner, who when he died, stepped into paradise with Jesus. God's grace. Incredible. Even the worst of people can be transformed by grace. So that's why it ought to humble us. We are not better than other people. We're all infected by this terrible, terrible disease. Which means, before I move into the passage next bit really quickly, there are only two categories of people in this world, biblically speaking. There's not black and white. It's not east and west. It's not male and female. It's not young and old. It's not rich and poor. It's not Jew and Gentile. It's those who are dead and those who are alive, spiritually. There are two kingdoms, the kingdom of Jesus and the kingdom of Satan. And you can't have a foot in both. You're in one or the other. I think God has said that very clearly. Then he goes on, he's spoken about, well, what's our condition spiritually? Now he's going to illustrate the same truths, but culturally. And he goes on to say, verse 11, particularly. uh, That's a summary. So then, this is a command. So then, remember. We are commanded to remember, to recall what we were like before we became Christians. That's a good exercise for us to do, to articulate very carefully what you were like, not just listing the sins, but what was the predominant governing factor in your life? Were you searching for meaning you want to discover something, what was missing in your life. Paul commands us, remember what it was like for you as Gentiles in the flesh. You were excluded on outside. He goes on to articulate you are without Christ. You are excluded from the citizenship of Israel. You were foreigners to the covenants of promise. You are without hope and you are without God in the world. You were excluded and there was no way for you to come in. But God But Jesus, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We were estranged, like the prodigal son in a foreign country, wandering it down and dead to his father, but comes back, brought near and received back. Look what Jesus has done, for he is our peace who made both groups, Jew and Gentile, one, And he tore down the dividing wall of hostility. If you went to the city of Jerusalem in the ancient world, if you were a Gentile and you wanted to find God and worship God, you had to go to Jerusalem, just like the Ethiopian eunuch did. When you got to Jerusalem, you'd go to the temple because that's where God's presence was. And so when you went to the temple, because you were a Gentile, you couldn't go in. It's like you can pull up at the front street, but you can't go in the front yard. You come all of those thousands of miles and that's as close as you can get, far away. But now in Christ, what has Jesus done? Well, he's come and he's knocked the walls down. He's torn the curtain from top to bottom, open. God's presence is now open access to one and all. That's what it means. If you went to the temple of Jerusalem, then you would have encountered the court of the priests, where only the priests, people from the tribe of Levi could go, and only the males, and only those 30 to 50 years of age. No one else. Then there was a court of Israel outside of that, the court of the men, that were for Jewish men only. And then outside of that, all on the same level, there was the court of the women. Any Jew could go there, male and female, but the women could not go any further. Priests, men, women. Five steps down. Another flat area, 14 steps down. That flat area went all the way around the temple with a perimeter. And 14 steps down would be the court of the Gentiles. And posted very clearly on the walls of the court of the Gentiles is a statement that Josephus has for us. No foreigner is permitted to enter on penalty of death. In fact, Josephus writes, whoever is caught, if you're a Gentile, inside... The court of women, or the court of the Gentile, the court of the Israel. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his death, which follows. The sign is not trespassers will be prosecuted. The sign is trespassers will be killed. You're excluded. You're out. And Jesus has come down, and he's kicked it in. He's torn down that wall of hostility which divided us, which separated us. There's no longer Jew and Gentile. We're all one in Christ. We are reconciled to God and to one another in him. What do we have in him? Access in one spirit to the Father. We're his children because of the cross. We can go to him, truly reconciled. Look at this, you're no longer foreigners and strangers but now you are fellow citizens with the saints. You're part of the kingdom of God. You're a citizen of heaven. You're not only that, you're a member of God's family. And then thirdly, you are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. And in him, the whole building is being put together and is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Those three pictures... Do you remember when you were a kid, they would have these like cartoons, these illustrations and in the illustration there would be like animals that were hidden, he had to go find the animals, like in the tree or in the cloud there'd be a, you know, a bear or a dog or a horse or something, you remember those? Well think of that when you look at this passage because the Apostle Paul is talking about something which is very precious to him and very important in the whole book of Ephesians but he doesn't name it. He's saying, look at this illustration and see if you can find what it is. We are a holy temple in the Lord. We are part of his family, members of his household. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the one who holds us together. We are citizens in his kingdom. You could misunderstand Ephesians 2 in our Western culture that we individually follow Jesus. Paul gets to this passage and he said, it's not about being an individual follower. You're a member of his family. You are one amongst others. You are a um, fellow citizen in his kingdom. You're not the only citizen. There are other citizens. And that you are a brick in his holy temple. You're one brick in the structure. What's he talking about? He's talking about the church. These are pictures of the corporate people of God together, which is what he's going to go on and expand in chapter three and following. We are brothers and sisters with one family and one Lord. We are now the dwelling place. Where does God dwell on earth? In us. Not just in us personally, but the scriptures have an emphasis of saying in us when we are together. When two or three gather together in my name, there am I in the midst. There's something special about being together. There's a spiritual entity, a transaction that can happen, which is why it's important for those of you who are at home, if you can come and assemble with God's people, that's what you should do. But of course, through circumstances, if you can't, then that's the next best thing to connect in. In him, we are being built together where God will dwell by his spirit. What has God done for us? Our condition is hopeless. We were incurable, but God in Jesus has acted and made all the difference in the world. And he's done that not only spiritually, he's done it culturally. And he's continuing to do it culturally so that we are one in Christ. And let me emphasise again before I pray, and there are only two groups in this world, those who are alive spiritually and following Jesus and those who are still in rebellion against him, those who are spiritually dead, indifferent to him. And one day he will come and he will separate those two forever. These ones will be dismissed from his presence forever and these ones will be with him forever in the new heavens, in the new earth. We're going to pray. Heavenly Father, you have revealed truth to us and you've said it very, very clearly in in this passage. Thank you that you didn't leave us in our spiritual, desperate state, but you came in the person of Jesus and by his death on the cross paid the penalty for our sin, rose victorious again from the dead, and now we are raised with him, ascended to heaven, and we have ascended with him. And as he is enthroned and seated in heaven, so we are seated with him. That's our identity in the You, Lord Jesus. Now, use us in this fallen world to be your representatives, and to demonstrate your grace to others and to share the life-changing good news, the gospel of Jesus, with others who are spiritually dead. God, we can't do it. You're the one who's got to do that work in people's lives. And Lord, we ask you to do that and use us in the process. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.